Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 1030. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 West Truman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for the fact that we can worship in peace and safety and security. Thank you, Father. You have blessed us in this great nation. We are wealthy, well-fed, and safe. Thank you. We pray this morning you would be with us in worship. Teach us from your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. Help us, Father, to receive what you have to say. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are things as we travel this are shifting sands that transcend all the reason of man. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hand. I believe in a new called Mount Calvary. I Christ who was slain on the cross has the power to change lives today. For He changed me completely, a new life is mine. That is why by the cross I will stay. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross.
cling to the old rugged cross. Thank you, Nate. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. 1 John, chapter 4, towards the end of your New Testament. Book of 1 John, chapter 4. Today we're beginning a series entitled Old Time Religion. But I'm not going to try to take you back to when you were a child or your grandparents had a, a faith that was Americanized. What we're going to try to do is look at the faith as given us in the New Testament. Because it does change. Culture to culture changes the expression of religious faith. It changes music. It changes forms of worship and all those kinds of things. So in this series, what I'm going to try to do is focus on those unchanging things. And you can see that what we're going to talk about today, the first message in this series is the love of God. And the love, the book, and things like that. So you can follow that. But today, as I said, we're going to talk about God's love. And that's something that hasn't changed ever. And it's an eternal thing. It's part of his character. And we're going to talk about what that means today. So 1 John chapter 4. And this was a revolutionary concept. This idea that God loves everybody. And that was revolutionary at the time. 1 John chapter 4. Just keep your passage open. And we'll look at it several times today. As always, we pray, as Andy said, we pray not just for the past and, and what's happened in the past that we might recover and learn, but that we might begin this year and do something different, perhaps something better, or maybe what you did last year was a good thing. It's up to you to determine that under God's leadership. So we're going to pray today that God will help us in this new year as a people and as individuals and as a nation. We thank you, Father, for always being there for us for your love which is constant and consistent and continually reaching towards us, we thank you. Father, we respond in love. We love because you loved us first. We can only come to you. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit which dwells within us, which gives us comfort and strength and hope. We thank you for your word which teaches us and instructs us. But most of all, Father, we just thank you for you for your love and your grace towards us. We pray this morning, Father, that as we worship, you would work with us to change the way we think and live our lives. Help us to gain control over our speech and our actions. Help us to think before we act and talk. Help us to make good choices that will reflect the Christ who is within us. As always, we pray for those in our fellowship that have lost loved ones. Give them comfort and peace. We know that others are in difficult situations. We pray, Father, that you would be with them. Provide healing where that is needed. Help people to sense your presence where they are. Give healing where that is needed. We pray for our nation and its leaders. At a time when war seems likely, give us discretion and restraint. We pray for a spirit of peace on all sides. We waste so much energy and time and human life on battles. Forgive us, Father, and help us to rise above that. As always, be with our soldiers and their families, our first responders and their families. Protect them wherever they serve. Use them, Father, to bring peace and justice and to save lives. 
Lord, this year, help us to rise to the level that you want us to be at. Give us strength and courage. Help us to be Christian in all things. We pray, Father, for the ability to allow our faith to permeate our relationships and our politics and our everyday affairs. Help us to reflect Christ in all we do. Again, Father, we thank you for all good things. You are generous beyond measure. Thank you. Be with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My grandma was wonderful. She was this tall and about that round. And I loved that woman. Grandma was... She was probably a stereotypical image of grandma. I didn't see her very often. She lived in a big town called Humansville. And we would go down there sometimes, not very often. And we would go down there and she was always at the door with this great big smile on her face. Just hugging and smushing us all over. And big, wet, slimy kisses with lots of red lipstick to go with it. Grandma would laugh with us. She would get with us on the floor and talk. She would have food all over the place. And one of the main things I remember about a visit to Grandma's was there was food everywhere. Grandma was a great cook with all the traditional dishes, fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, and all those kinds of things. And it was just a wonderful place for a little boy to go. Grandma made these mashed potatoes, and I don't mean to lose you here, but I might. Grandma made these mashed potatoes, and in my mind when I think mashed potatoes I think grandma jewel she had this special bowl that was her mashed potato bowl and you know how grandmas are and it was a big huge bowl and of course there was a whole lot of people there and she had a way of making these wonderful mashed potatoes I never saw her make them but they were always wonderful just the right shade of yellow hot steamy just enough salt to be unhealthy and in the middle was this big hole that she had scooped out filled with butter yeah yeah, baby, just like you imagine, and I hope I didn't lose you there. And she would purposely make the little rivulet so it was almost a volcano of butter on this huge mound of mashed potatoes. And we would fight for who got that first dip right out of the center, drizzled in butter. So when I think of Grandma Jewel, I think mashed potatoes. I think wet kisses. I think black flowery dresses because I think that's all she possessed in her life was black flowery dresses. But more than anything else, I think of this woman that loved me absolutely. I don't ever remember her getting on to me about anything. I'm sure I deserved it, but she never did it. I probably made her mad at some point, but I never knew that. All I remember about Grandma Jewel is wet, smushy kisses and those mashed potatoes and gravy. Grandma loved me. Yes, I was one of 25 or so. And I'm sure I was just as obnoxious as all my brothers and sisters and all those other kids. But Grandma loved me. It never occurred to me to doubt her love. I knew that when I went to Grandma's house that she would hold on to me and kiss me and feed me and laugh with me. And I always knew that she would accept me. Before I knew the word love and what it meant, I knew that Grandma loved me. And you know what I mean by that. I was safe with Grandma. I was always welcome at Grandma's house. When I was 14 years old, I started riding my bicycle long distances, did several century runs. That's where you ride your bicycle more than 100 miles in a day. And Mom and Dad tolerated my new habit. 
And one time they even let me ride from Excelsior Springs down to Humansville. And my mom took me out of town to Warrensburg, I think, and I drove the 80 miles down to Humansville. And I remember calling them up. Mom said, well, before I do this, you're going to have to call up Grandma Jewel and see if they'll be all right. And I said, Grandma, can I ride my bike? Well, sure you can. Come on down. And I rode down, and when I pulled into the driveway, hot and sweaty, there was Grandma Jewel, black flowery dress, big wet kisses. She loved me. Have you ever had anyone in your life that just loves you absolutely? Probably grandma, maybe Paul, maybe your parents, maybe your spouse. There are few things as satisfying and comforting as the idea that someone loves you. Absolutely. Even when you can't necessarily define that love or describe it to someone else there are a few things as I said that are as comforting and as secure as someone that loves you when we talk about old time religion what we're really talking about is a faith that was based on God's love not the idea that God loved certain people that was common in history people have always entertained images of God that loved them but not those You know what I mean. We want God to love us, but not those people. But there was a God who created. A God who sent his son Jesus. And the message for everybody was, God loves us. Not just us good people here. But all of them too, he loves us collectively. God loves people. White people, black people. Straight people, gay people, God loves them all. No exceptions, no restrictions. Grandma loved everybody, at least in my family. God loves everybody. Well, today what we're going to do is look at a passage in Scripture where John tried to help us understand something of God's love. If you would, in 1 John 4, we'll read verses 7 through 16. He talks about God's love. If you would, follow along. 1 John 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. A couple of ideas from this passage is one simple thing. The idea of eternal and transforming love is a defining characteristic of God's character. Have you ever tried to define someone with one word? Exciting, dramatic, gorgeous, beautiful, intelligent. We all do those kinds of things. Sometimes people do it with God. Sometimes people will say, well, God is creator. 
And you can understand that God is creator God. We talk about creation a lot. He created us in his image. We understand that he still creates. He is still working with us to bring things that are new. Scientists tell us that there are still new species being created in the ocean. We didn't know that. God's still creating. So maybe we could land on the idea of creator. And yet, there's more. Some people will focus on the idea of righteous judge. We look in the Old Testament stories. God judged and punished sin. Those are all true stories, by the way. And some people seem fixated on that idea. God is judge. God is punisher. And even though that is a characteristic of God, there's more to God than just punisher and judge. We could go on and on, but you get the idea. I think what we want to do, if we want a true image of what God is like, that we land on this word, love. Not the warm, fuzzy love. I love hamburgers. Not the silly love. I love this dress. I love these shoes. But the love that transforms life. I've mentioned this a couple of times. The term agape means love. In the Greek language, they had several words for love. But agape love is that love that is used to refer to God's love. It has almost nothing to do with emotion, but rather everything with commitment to another. When we talk about God loving humanity, it is emotion, but it's more than that. It is love that God is committed to our well-being. So when we read about God's love, and we read about God loving people and reaching out to them, he does so on their behalf. Now, if you think about that, that might give some perspective to those other terms. God is creator God. How does God's love help us understand that? Creator God creates because he loves us. We don't know this because the Bible doesn't give us all the answers. But the understanding so far is that God created us so he could love us. God created us so he could bless us. God created us so we could live in relationship with him and experience his grace and his glory. Why are we here? We are here to live in relationship with God. Why do we exist? We exist because God wants to bless us. Why do people have babies? You know, I look at young mamas every day and I, you know, I stand and greet kids in childcare. We have several young mamas and they're just so tired and I just feel so sorry for them. And Terry, you know too. And there's some of them, they have three kids. One of them has four, under the age of four usually. And it's just, I, I just marvel, why would they want babies at their age? They're so young. Well, you know why? Because they want to love those babies. Why would God create us? Because he wanted to love us. Talked about righteous judge. Would a parent who loves their child punish their child? Sure. They have to, don't they? In fact, as we understand now, that if you don't punish your child to do something to teach him correct behavior, it's not a sign of love. It's a sign of unconcern and maybe lack of love. It's not a healthy love that ignores a child who does something wrong. Healthy love disciplines a child, instructs a child, aims at changing a child's behavior. So when we look in the passages of Scripture where it talks about God's righteous anger, we can understand that he expressed that anger in ways, hopefully, not just to punish, but to change our behavior, to cause what the Bible says, sorrow unto repentance. 
So God punishes because he loves us, because he wants us to live differently, to live better. So when you begin to think that way, you begin to understand that God's love is really the best way to understand it. First of all, love comes from God. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Still 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at verse 16. We have come to know and have beloved the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So love, this idea of commitment to each other, of commitment to another's well-being, of self-sacrificial love, of acting in the behalf of others, that is a God thing. You know, I talked about God things last week. God things are come from the mind and the heart of God, something he does. He could have created us as mere animals with instinct, but there's more to it, isn't there? We don't run on instinct. There's, there's something more. My daughter uses this phrase when she's talking about someone who's suffering. She goes, my heart just goes out to her. And I understand what she means. It's not something she can define, but she cares. She loves them. She may or may not know them, but she's just one of those kinds of people. She loves people. So her heart goes out. And that's what we're talking about here. That is something from God and Love exists because God, in the mind and his wisdom, created this idea of love. Now, interestingly enough, our minds and our bodies are created where when we have these feelings of love, there are certain chemicals released, and you know that. You've read all the same things I've read, and you understand a little bit like I do that there are parts of our brain that are different than all other mammals, and chemicals that are different than all other mammals, and when we have these feelings of love, that there is something going on in our mind, in our brain, different. Some scientists say, well, then there's really no such thing as love. It's just a chemical reaction. But I think the Christian perspective is, but creator God created us with that brain and those chemicals to function as they do. You see, God created us to love. Love is from God. Another thing, look at verses 8 and 16. Still 1 John 4. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And verse 16. We have come to know and have beloved the love which God has for us. God is love. Love defines God. If you get into conversation with someone and they say, well, tell me about God, it is fully acceptable to say, well, God is love. And that's not passing the buck or an easy answer, is it? That opens the door to a whole conversation. God is love. Not just he loves some people. Not just he's a good guy. But the whole idea of love, self-sacrifice, caring for others, giving of yourself, enveloping people in your arms, that is what God is all about. God is love. And then in verse 10, if you would, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is an old word which meant covering. What that means is we were sinners, and we know that. You know, we just sin, and we can't wash it off. But God in Jesus covers our sin. And that was an Old Testament concept, to cover over something. And it means the same thing today. God looks at our sin, and he covers it over. Because in love, 
He sent his son Jesus. So God is love. God is the source of all love. But it is also defined by love. So when you want to talk about God, say God is love. That's a good way to start a conversation. Do you know God is love? Do you know God loves you? There are some people, and you've encountered these people and so have I, and they're just, I don't know. Sometimes they're hard to talk to. Sometimes they're belligerent. Sometimes they're angry. Whatever. And I, I want to tell them about Jesus, and I, I know that they're not going to be really interested in, in a long conversation. So all I can do is say simply, God loves you. And you know that is as good a message as I can give. It's a short sermon, isn't it? But if you can get them to think that, God loves you, you can change people. You can begin to get them to think because this idea that someone loves them absolutely can change their life. I knew that my grandma loved me, didn't even know how to define it, but I knew she loved me. If you can get someone to understand that God loves them, and it can be undefined, God loves them, you might be able to change their life. On screen is this passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a demonstration of love. God's love is active. It does something. It doesn't just feel for us. When God loves us, that just not is, it's not just an emotion where God feels for us but does nothing. God loves us. He feels for us. He wants to act on our behalf. So in Jesus, he did something wonderful. He gave us an opportunity. Here's this word creation again. To be recreated in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he is new creature. So there's that idea of creation. And God loves us. So because God loves us in Jesus, he gives us a chance to be reborn. See, God moves. God does because God is love. If you want to know how to describe God's love, point to Jesus. Interestingly enough, almost everybody, Christian and non-Christian alike, thinks highly of Jesus. He's understood to be a good person. He loved people. Everybody looks at his stories of how he loved the woman caught in adultery and uses that as an example. Everyone sees the story of how he sacrificed himself for others and sees that as an example. Everyone looks at how he challenged the corruption in politics and in religion, and we see that as a good thing. That's an example for us. Everything Jesus did is seen as a good thing. How do you describe God's love? God is love. Look at Jesus. This love not only guides and leads Father God, it transforms us. Paul wrote a letter to the church in a place called Galatia. And he talked about fruits of the Spirit. He was talking about what changes in your life when you allow the Holy Spirit to change you. You know, a little bit of background. If you follow Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit on this earth. So if you follow Jesus Christ, as soon as you receive him as Savior, as soon as you receive the cleansing that is through Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And that's a promise of God. Doesn't matter if you're perfect. Doesn't matter if you stepped into sin. The Holy Spirit is within you. And you can never shake that. He lives within you. 
And what happens is when you allow him to influence you, one of the first things he's going to do is show you that you need to love people. Not the warm fuzzy, but you need to care about other people. This is something that God does. When you follow Jesus, when you allow the Spirit to lead you, you will learn to love. You may not feel those come later, but you will learn to be concerned, to choose to be concerned for other people. Whether you know them or like them is irrelevant. First of all, love transforms your life because it will lead you to care for those around you regardless of the details. You may not realize this, but there are some people I encounter that I don't like very well. Now, I like all of you. You're wonderful. But some of those people out there, and you can fill in the blank, you know, there are people I just don't like very well. Right? And you too. You like some people. You like to be with some people. Other people just rub you wrong, and I get that. The goal is to love them anyway. I'm never going to like some kinds of people. The way it is, and neither are you. It's just the way it is, and we all chafe against certain types of people. We're not going to necessarily like them. But that doesn't mean we can't love them. Because remember, we're not talking about emotion. We're talking about commitment to their well-being. We're talking about caring for their family. We're talking about being willing to help them when they need help. That's God's love at work. This is the kind of love that God wants to instill within us. It transforms us because it changes us from being people who help our own and becoming people who help those outside our circle of concern. It's one thing to help people that are like you. You're related to them. They look like you. They're colored like you, whatever. That's one thing. It's quite another thing to step out of those boundaries. We call them comfort zones. And love people and care for them even when they're different. It's hard too, isn't it? We don't like them. Oh, and by the way, sometimes they don't like us. You know, it's hard to believe, but there are people in this world that don't like me. They tell me. How can they not like me? What's not the love, right? But, you know, that's the way it is. For all of us, there are people that just don't like us. You know what? God says, who cares? Love them anyway. Be concerned for their well-being. Act to help them. That's the kind of love that can change lives. It transforms you because it turns you into a person that is known to be one who loves others regardless of details. The next one is the idea that love transforms you because it will lead you to treat other people with respect and grace. And here's the kicker. Hatred is no longer an option for the Christian. Well, wait a minute. What about those bad people? You do not have the privilege of hatred as Christian. If you follow Jesus... If you allow God's love to live within you, you learn as you read Scripture that you don't get to hate anybody. If you're a Democrat, you don't get to hate Republicans. You don't even get to hate Donald Trump. Sorry. It doesn't work. If you're Christian, you are commanded to love, guess who? Everybody. If you're a Republican, you don't get to hate Democrats or Nancy Pelosi. Got it? that contextualize it enough here? You see, God wants your love to be beyond partisan politics. It's easy to hate people that disagree, isn't it? And it's everywhere. 
my wife keeps in touch with almost everybody in the world on Facebook. And she just does, and so every night she reads Facebook. And it's amazing what people write on Facebook. The fact that they write things and sign their name to them is beyond my comprehension. One friend, and she is, and I'll step in these waters, she is a hardcore Trump-hating Democrat. She hates everything associated with Trump. And she says that. She hates Trump. And if you like Trump, I don't want you in my life. I hate you. Christian, too, by the way. I thought, huh, there's a problem there, isn't there? You see, politics has become more important than serving God. Now, I understand disagreeing with somebody's politics. I get it. Nothing wrong with that. God calls you to think for yourself, to make your own mind up, and to speak your mind. But he does not give you allowances to be full of hate. In fact, our passage said, if someone says they love God, but they don't love people, they're liars. The truth isn't in them. Did you notice that passage? God's pretty picky on this thing. Love is one of those things that God cares about most profoundly. He doesn't care about whether you are Republican or Democrat. He doesn't care about what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of music you listen to. He does care about if you love or don't love. Hatred is not an option. One more thing, love transforms your life because it will lead you to learn to learn about the true idea of what God is. And you learn it from God. You don't learn it from Oprah. You don't learn it from The Five or whatever show you like to watch. There's nothing wrong with those people. But you can't allow non-Christians or people to teach you what God wants to teach you. This is where you go into Scripture. And you begin to allow God to teach you from Scripture. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why our sermons are based on Scripture. Because they are unchanging. How you feel isn't necessarily the important thing. It's what does God teach you. God teaches you to love and give grace and forgive. Even, hear this, love your enemies. And by the way, you need to be really careful about how you define your enemies. Someone who disagrees with your politics isn't necessarily an enemy. And preachers have to bang this drum because we don't want to hear this one. God calls us to love people regardless. Jesus encountered people that he disagreed with politically but he loved them anyway. And by the way, when Jesus died on a cross, who did Jesus die for? Every single one of us. Republicans and Democrats, straights and homosexuals, doesn't matter. God loves everybody. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of what has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I'm going to read this passage of scripture to my great niece in a couple of weeks when I do her wedding. We typically think, well, this is a nice wedding passage. This is the way husbands and wives are supposed to be towards each other. That's partly true. What really is going on in this passage is God is teaching us this is what love is. Love isn't what you're hearing in your culture. This is what love is. It wants justice. It never rejoices when someone suffers. It is humble. It's never arrogant. 
It's gracious. It's not rude. So if you want to know how do, how do I love people, how do I act like I love people, go to this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, and God will teach you. It's not an observation. This is an instruction. This is love. Most of it has nothing to do with how you feel, but everything to do about how you treat others. God loves everybody. God is love. The old-time faith is based on the idea that God loves us and that will never change. And folks, that is the basis of everything we know as a Christian. One of the things that Jesus wanted us to do is always remind ourselves of just how essential God's loving Christ is to this faith. 